enjoy today's grapevine. Our grapevine today is coming to us from the year 1986, December. Here we go. A worldwide forum of individual opinions, recovery experiences, and reflections on AA Today. Grand Door Policy from Massachusetts Hyannis. The June article titled Restricted Zone by R.W. of Berea, Ohio, merits a second reading by every AA grateful enough to want the program and the fellowship to always be available to the alcoholic who still suffers. The proliferation of specialty groups just isn't in keeping with AA principles. AA literature details the great effort to the founders and early members to make the fellowship inclusive. Bill said it at best. The woman said they were different. The skid roar said he was different. Even more loudly, the socialite said the same. So did the artists and the professional people. The rich, the poor, the religious, the agnostic, the Indians, the Eskimos, the veterans, and the prisoners. When I arrived sick and desperate at AA's door, nobody asked a single question about the irrelevant details of my life. My profession, religion, family life, education, arrest, etc. If they have had, I might still be out there. Drunk. Though many though more likely dead or permanently institutionalized. The first AA who greeted me asked, Are you having trouble with booze, brother? The question chilled my shaking body right to the marrow. In seven words, he had asked the only question that really mattered. Then and now, I couldn't even nod and an answer, but he knew. He stuck out his hand and in five more words, Reassure me you're in the right place. He said, as he shuffled back into the kitchen to finish making the coffee. So this day, I don't go join or attend specialty groups, though I make one of their meetings when I travel, if that's what's, that's all that's available. I have no objective to their right to exist, but my experience tells me that anything exclusive inevitably becomes intolerant. Asked to sum up the AA fellowship and program in one line, Bill said, honesty with honesty with ourselves and others gets us sober, but it's tolerance that keeps us that way. Again, honesty with ourselves and others get us sober, but it is tolerance that keeps us that way. Is by J.R. a letter. The next, in a further issue, we hope to publish a variety of opinions on the questions of special interest groups, both pro and con. But we don't want to have a, a great session, so please keep the focus on the constructive sharing. The editors. Mistaken identity. This letter comes to us from Houston, Texas by an E.K. 
One evening recently, I was home alone and the phone rang. It was a person whose voice has always filled me with fear and its first cousin, anger. For some reason, I did not overreact. I stated my point of view quietly but fir very firmly. This response was this response was met with complete surprise by my caller. She said that she didn't know what had come over her and that I wouldn't be hearing from her again. Smiling, I replaced the receiver. I knew what had come over me. This program really works. I no longer I no longer need to fear people, places, and things because I feel powerless over them. With a growing dependence on a great power than myself, I had a confidence and peace of mind that I never believed possible. When my living problems occur, I had no reason to panic because I know, know that if I will just be still and listen, my answers will come. My higher power is always there waiting for me to call on Him. Because of this knowledge, on many occasions, I have, I behave as a mature adult. Could it be that God is challenging me? Question mark. Our next story is from Bremerton, Washington. It was a Christmas day in 1984. My wife had invited her folks and her brother over for dinner. We were eating around 2 p.m. This gave me enough time to go running. I had discovered running three years previously and, because of my compulsive nature, had taken up running marathons distance. But that's another story in itself. I had been on the road for an hour or so, which had taken me past a new apartment house close by where three public telephones primarily were used by the tenants. As I approached, I could see a rather large middle-aged woman talking on one of the phones. As I got closer, I could see in her some of the telltale signs of alcoholism. The bloated face, luggage under the eyes, that is heel pressure. Oh, sorry. As I approached, I could see a rather large middle-aged woman talking to one of the phones, talking in one of the phones. As I got closer, I could see in her some of, of tales, tale, telltale signs of alcoholism. The bloated face, luggage under the eyes, and the disheveled appearance. She looked strangely familiar, and it came to me who it was she reminded me of. My mother. It was my mom. Briefly, I heard her conversation asking, I think, a young child that he had gotten from Santa. This experience may not be important to anyone else, but for this alcoholic, it was the greatest present I could have received. You see, when I was 10 or maybe 9, my kid sister and I got a similar call from my mother who had not been home for some time. The thought of this scene continued to penetrate my mind and grat gratitude 
has swelled up by the time I arrived back home. I have two girls ages 7 and 12 and didn't have to wake up Christmas morning wondering where their father was and if it it hadn't been for AA reaching out to the alcoholic on February 1974 I could very well have been that person asking over the telephone what Santa had brought their children amen ideas for traditionalists from Kailua Hawaii I read the letter from J.H. Oak Park, Illinois in the July 1986 grapevine and I have some suggestions to offer. First, if you're interested in hearing only about the 12 steps or the big book at the meetings, why not attend a step study meeting or a big book study? If they don't have one in your area, why not start one? I read the letter from J.H. Oak Park, Illinois in the July 1986 grapevine, and I have some suggestions to offer. First, if you're interested in hearing only about the 12 steps or the big book at AA meetings, why not attend a step study meeting or a big book study? If you don't have one in your area, why not start one? For me, the pro for me, the program is a learning process. Learning to live without alcohol. I wanted to hear her. If they don't have anyone in your area, why don't you start one? For me, the program is a learning process. Learning to live without alcohol. I, went, I want to hear other AAs share their experience in sobriety. I am stunned that an AA member would be surprised to hear the topic of love discussed at a meeting. Even a traditionalist would have to agree that there could be no such thing as a back-to-the-babies approach towards sobriety that didn't include love. I don't think Bill and Bob would have any problem relating to love or vitamin deficiency. Try a non-smoking meeting from West Lebanon, New York. This letter is being written as a request for more AA groups to consider offering non-smoking meetings, at least for the third trial. As an ex-smoker who quit only when unpleasant physical symptoms develop, there are some questions. As an ex Moker who quit only when unpleasant physical symptoms develop. There are some meetings I cannot attend because the smoke level is too high to tolerate. Others I can only attend in warm weather when doctors and windows are open. Even in well even in well ventilated rooms, windows in warm weather. Even. The smell is often but not in itself enough to keep one from attending. We do not wish to trample on the rights of others and do not believe that, that 
that asking smokers to refrain for an hour or two is unreasonable request. By W.H. Our last story is sent to us by from it comes to us from Sorrento, British Columbia by V.G. Thank you, V.G. I just finished reading Ham on Rye in the April 1986 issue, which begins with examples of mangling the steps. At my group meeting in other nights, which is At my group meeting the other night, which I had the privilege of chair, I asked a relative newcomer read how it works. He cheerfully agreed to do so. Uh, Oh boy. All right. Well, that's enough for me. I'm falling asleep. May God bless you guys and keep you and enjoy this day. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for July 14th. Thank you, Lord, for giving us another day to bless and praise your name, Lord. Today we are prospering. Today we are rich because of Jesus Christ. Today we say yes to our inheritance. Today we say yes to restoration. Restore, Lord, restore. Give us success today, Lord. We receive our miracles. We receive our benefits. We believe we receive our benefits. We believe you load us daily with benefits. And we thank you for these benefits today. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. And today's reading will be... July 14th. Uh, let me see here. July 14th. It says Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 7. In October, when the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. They asked Ezra, the scribe, oh, I'm sorry, that's yeah, August 14th. I thought so. I'm like, we didn't do Chronicles? I'm like, um... My good, my good. Praise the Lord. I, I like that Hey, hey, now. I'm just the, the voice... Thank you, Lord, for my humanity. Thank you, Lord. I rejoice in my humanity, and I'm thankful for it, Lord. Yeah. It keeps me on my toes. I can laugh at myself. Yes, Lord. Laugh <laughs> I can laugh at my derelictions. What are you All right, now, here we are, July 14th. Hang in there, nerd class. Oh, I already had the screen. First Chronicles. Here we go. First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 37. David arranged for Azap and his fellow Levites to serve regularly before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, doing whatever needed to, to be done each day. This group included Obi 
Obed Edom, son of Jedutun, Hosa, and 68 other Levites as gatekeepers. Meanwhile, David stationed Sadak, the priest, and his fellow priests at the tabernacle of the Lord, at the place of worship in Gibeon, where they continued to minister before the Lord. They sacrificed the regular burnt offerings to the Lord each morning and evening on the altar set aside for that purpose, obeying everything written in the law of the Lord, as he had commanded Israel. David also appointed Heman, Jedutun, and the others chosen by name to give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love endured forever. They used their trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments to accompany their songs of praise to God, and the sons of Jedutun were appointed as gatekeepers. Then all the people returned to their homes, and David turned and went home to bless his own family. When David was settled in his palace, he summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, I am living in a beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of the Lord's covenant is out there under a tent. Nathan replied to David, Do whatever you have in mind, for God is with you. At the same night, God said to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord has declared. You are not the one to build a house for me to live in. I have never lived in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until this very day. My home has always been a tent, moving from one place to another in a tabernacle. Yet, no matter where I have gone with the Israelites, I have never once complained to Israel's leaders the shepherds of my people, I have never asked, and why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar house? Now go and say unto my servant David, This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. He declares, has declared, I took you from tending the sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. Now I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on the earth, and I will provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they've done in the past. Starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people Israel, and I will defeat all your enemies. Furthermore, I declare that the Lord will build a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For when you die and join your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, one of your sons, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for me, and I will secure his throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. I will never take my favor from him as I took it from the one who ruled before you. I will com confirm him as king over my house and my kingdom for all time, and his throne will be secure forever. So Nathan went back to David and told him everything the Lord had said in this vision. 
Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and prayed, Who am I? Who am I, O Lord? Who am I, O Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And now, O oh God, in addition to everything else, you speak of giving your servant a lasting dynasty. You speak as though I were some, someone very great. O oh Lord God, what more can I say to you about the way you have honored me? You know what your servant is really like. For the sake of your servant, O oh Lord, and according to your will, you have done all these great things and have made them known. O oh Lord, there is no one like you. We have never even heard of another God like you. What other nation on earth is like you, your people, Israel? What other nation, O oh God, have you redeemed from slavery to be your own people? You made a great name for yourself. When you redeemed your people from Egypt, you performed awesome miracles and drove out the nations that stood in their way. You chose Israel to be your very own people forever, and you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord, I am your servant. Do as you have promised concerning me and my family. May it be a promise that will last forever, and may your name be established in honor forever, so that all everyone will say, The Lord of heaven's army, the God of Israel, is Israel's God, and may the house of your servant David continue before you forever. O oh my God, I have been bold enough to pray to you because you have revealed to you, your servant, that you will build a house for him, a dynasty of kings. For you are God, O oh Lord, and you have promised these good things to your servant. And now it has pleased you to bless the house of your servant so that it will continue forever before you. For when you grant a blessing, O Lord, it is an eternal blessing. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Grant a blessing, it's eternal. <clears throat> After this, David defeated and subdued the Philistines by conquering God and his surrounding towns. David also conquered the land of Moab and the Moabites who were spared because David's subjects became David's subjects and paid him tribute money. David also destroyed the forces of Hadad Ezer, king of Zobah, as far as Hamat. When Hadadezer marched out to strengthen his control along the Euphrates River, David captured a thousand chariots, seven thousand charioteers, and twenty thousand foot soldiers. He crippled all the chariot horses except enough for a hundred chariots. When Armians from Damascus arrived to help King Hadadezer, David killed 22,000 of them. Then he placed some, several army garrisons in Damascus, <clears throat> the Ar Armenian capital. And the Armenians became David's subjects and paid him tribute money. So the Lord made David victorious wherever he went. David brought the gold shields of Hadadezer's office officers to Jerusalem, along with a large amount of bronze from Hadassah's towns of Teba and Kut. Later, Solomon melted the bronze and molded it in the great bronze basin called the sea, the pillars and the various bronze articles used at the temple. When King Toi of Hamat heard that David 
had destroyed the entire army of King Hadadeser of Sosoba, he sent his son Joram to congratulate King David for his successful campaign. Hadadeser and Toi had been enemies and were often at war. Jerome presented David with many gifts of gold, silver, and bronze. King David dedicated all these gifts to the Lord along with the silver and gold he had taken from other nations, <clears throat> from Edom, Moab, Ammon, Philistia, and Amalek. Abishai, son of Sariah, destroyed 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. He placed army garrisons in Edom, and all the Edomites became David's subjects. In fact, the Lord made David victorious wherever he went. So David reigned over all Israel and did what was just and right for all his people. Joab, son of Zariah, was commander of the army. Jehoshaphat, son of Ahilud, was the royal historian. Sadak, son of Ahitub and Ahimelech, son of Abiatar, were the priests. Zariah was the court secretary. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, was captain of the king's bodyguard, and David's son servant as the king's chief assistant. Amen. Okay, we have uh, today's study. David prayed by humbling himself, praising God, recognizing God's blessings, and accepting God's decision promise and commands. Humility is not about de devaluing your worth. It's about seeing yourself in the big picture in light of how big God is. God sits above the circle of the earth. The people below seem like grasshoppers to him. Isaiah 40:22. When you see God's immensity, praising him is easy and thanking him for his blessing is hard to stop. He cares about you, a small grasshopper, and He gives you everything that is good. James 1.17 When we see ourselves and then see God and His goodness to us, obedience is a simple response of gratefulness. Amen. We often reduce prayer to making requests of God and listening, listening our troubles, but these are dimensions of prayer can deepen our relationship with God. Humility praise, thanks, obedience, take time to recognize your smallness, praise God and re reflect on His blessings, recommit yourself to obey what He has already made clear. Amen, amen, and amen. Praise the Lord. With the birth of Jesus, the son of David, God's unconditional promise to the community of Israel was finally realized. Matthew's genealogy presents Jesus as the fulfillment of God's promise. Matthew 1, 1 to 17. Amen. Amen. That's beautiful. It's really nice to see Nathan talk. God is talking about, like he's having a conversation. He goes, man, he goes, I was never in a tent when I was with it. I never complained that I was living in a tent. <laughs> I always lived there. Why should you build me a tent in your house now in Cedar? Did I ever want a house like that? It's beautiful, huh? Yeah. God is awesome. Romans chapter 2, 1 through 24. 
You may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse when you say that they are wicked and should be punished. You are condemning yourself for you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God is in His justice will punish anyone who does such things. So if you judge others by for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sins? Amen. But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sins, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and mortality that God offers. But He will pour out His anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, yeah. who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God to all who do good. Amen. From the Jew first and also from the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. Amen. When the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed, even though they never had God's written law. And the Jews who do have God's written law will be judged by the law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in His sight. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know His law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts, either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. You who call yourself Jew are relying on God's law, and you boast about your special relationship with Him. You don't know what He wants. You know what is right because you have been taught His law. You know what He wants. You know what is right because you have been taught His law. You are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light for people who are lost in darkness. You think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God. For you are certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and truth. Well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? You tell others not to steal, but do you steal? You say it is wrong to commit adultery, but, you do, but do you commit adultery? You condemn idolatry, but do you use items stolen from pagan temple? You are so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scripture says the Gentiles blasphemy the name of God because of you. No wonder the scriptures say the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. Amen. Yeah. Today's study.
in Romans 2, 17, 23. When Paul's letter was read to believers in Rome, many probably agree as he condemned idol worship, homosexual practice, and violent people. But what surprised his listeners must have felt, he turned on them and said, in fact, you are just as bad and you have no excuse. Despite this knowledge of God's will, they will they were guilty because they too refused to live by it. These verses are scathing criticism of their hypocrisy. Paul exhorted the Jews to teach themselves by their own law. First, they knew the law so well that they have learned how to excuse their own actions while criticizing others. Those who have grown up going to church can feel fall into the same trap many Jewish people did. It, they, it, it's much easier to tell others how to behave than to behave properly yourself. This is the evidence that condemns us. We know that it's right and even teach it to others. We don't do it ourselves. Paul says that he, that if we do not live up to the what we know, we are no better than, than unbelievers. What knowledge do you have that you aren't obeying it yet? Ask God to give you peace to submit. Amen. Amen. Praying the Psalms. Speak these words to God, imploring Him to act on your behalf, on behalf of the helpless. Amen. Psalms 10, chapter 16, 18. The Lord is king forever and ever. The God of nations will vanish from the land. Lord, you know the hopes of the helpless. Please help them. Surely you will hear their cries and comfort them. You will bring justice to the orphans and the oppressed. So merry people can no longer terrify. Mere people cannot longer terrify them. Amen. Proverbs 19, 8-9 To acquire wisdom is to love oneself. People who cherish understanding will prosper. A fault witness will not go unpunished, and a liar will be destroyed. Amen. Amen. Blessed be the word of the Lord. It's God for it. Amen. Amen. Amen.